be all that you can be. No, I'm just kidding. We're not the army. We're not a corporation looking to hire people to do a job. But we need people to keep traditions alive, to keep the lights on, to have training partners that really love martial arts and jiu-jitsu. So how do you go about bringing new people in? How do we all do recruiting? Find out in today's episode. From the dojo to the octagon, we bring you the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast! Welcome to another edition of the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. This is your co-host Sri Pendikatla, and with me is co-host Shihan Russ St. Hilaire, 7th degree black belt in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. How's your summer been going, Shihan? It has been going fantastic, getting a lot of training in, a lot of training outside of the dojo, you know, at the beach and in the woods and in the neighborhood. So getting some real life, uh, real environment training in this summer. It's been great. Must be really hot down there in Florida. I don't know. I think you guys might be hotter than we are. I mean, we're we're about 90 and I think you guys were pretty significantly above that. Yeah, I think we do got your beat there, <laughs> but it won't so, last for long, just like anything else. Nope, nope. So what are we talking about today? Recruiting. You're recruiting to bring in people into the dojo as new students and how to do that, what it takes and, and why that's even important for students as well as instructors. I think that's uh, a very important subject to cover. So I remember, and I'm paraphrasing obviously, so you correct me if I misstate anything, but I thought I recalled you saying uh, something to affect that it's everybody's duty to recruit, not just the instructors. That, that is true. And, and I would say more students come from their relationships with other students than really the instructor. So the instructor might have, you know, a reputation and the school might be well known and, you know, um, somebody might look in, you know, uh, online or, you know, look for some kind of advertising for self-defense training and, and find the school that way. But more often than not, it's about the experience that the student has at the school and how that's improved their life and made them more physically fit and changed how they approach the world, that they sort of become the evangelist for the school more than the instructor does. And they go out there and they tell friends and family and coworkers, and, and they're the ones that seem to bring more people to the school than, than just the instructor. But I remember when I first started in martial arts, oh, I was around 11 years old or something, and... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a, a big thing back then, <laughs> as well as the Karate Kid oh, uh, yeah. back in the early 90s. And uh, I, I think it was my uncle that told me, you know, told my mother to enroll me in martial arts because I was looking pretty weak, pretty scared of most things. And they thought that would help toughen me up. So what they did was they looked in the phone book back then. It was The Internet didn't really take on yet and found a place in my town, and that's how we got going. So Yeah, that's a very typical experience, I think. And is that still happening these days, or or has anything changed, or, or is it different for for us? Well, I, I don't think that piece has changed, specifically for children. You know, I think when parents want children to get into the martial arts, they often go and and look, you know, in the old days, they'd look in the yellow pages. Now they go online, they Google it, and they, they find out, uh, you know, where there are kids programs, and and they'll typically find it that way. I think when it's an adult recruit, 
it's probably different. Some percentage of them over the years um, have said, hey, I found you when I Googled it or, you know, I saw your website or, or something like that. I, I would say a vast majority. Um, it's been through, you know, a relationship they've had with somebody at the dojo or somebody who, you know, knew of the dojo that brought them in. And, you know, early on when we had the Hambu and, you know, we weren't really concerned with having to pay rent or doing any of that kind of stuff. I, I think pretty much everybody came through that way. There might have been a handful of people that, that found us on the Internet, but I basically told those beginning students, like, uh, you know, we, we definitely want to get more people, but I need to know them before I let them come into the dojo. I'm not just going to have a stranger come in here and I'm going to teach them all these techniques and how to, you know, hurt other people or, or even the healing techniques that we did without me having a relationship with them and without me knowing them and knowing their family and making sure that they were, uh, you know, a good person who deserved to have this kind of knowledge and wasn't going to abuse it. So people in the Hambu Dojo took that very, very seriously. You know, the, I was even told later uh, along the way that there were people whose friends approached them and asked them if they, you know, could come and try out the dojo. And, and those people actually told them no. They didn't think it was going to be right for them. They didn't think the environment was going to be right for them. And then what they told me later is they didn't think that that person was actually going to be right for the environment. You know, obviously they didn't want to just tell them that, hey, you're the wrong kind of person. But they were really serious about making sure it was the kind of person that would fit into that environment, train hard, not have a big ego. And people took that pretty seriously. And it turned out, for the most part, good. Every once in a while, someone would would join that um, you know seemed to be a fit, and and then turned out not to be a fit. But 99% of the time, the recruiting and the the screening of future students really happened by by current students. I think you did mention all of those things as well when I first heard that. In fact, I wasn't even training at the time. I think I was still observing before I started when you moved out of the old Hambu Dojo, right. but you still kind of said the same things. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, in the more commercial schools that we have, the reason that they're there is because we wanted to, you know, spread the good, you know, good word of jujitsu to as many people as possible because it does really help people. But at the same time, you open yourself up more to, students that are going to come in that aren't really a, a good fit. And then, you know, there you are and, and they're in your dojo and you have to have those hard conversations and correct behaviors and, you know, maybe even eventually, you know, ask them to leave. So you certainly open yourself up for more risk in a, in a more open commercial public dojo than you do in a, in a private dojo. But again, you know, I think just the level and the difficulty of training, the strictness of the instructors, the seriousness of the students, that also just tends to weed out the people that don't really um, don't really belong there. Would you mind maybe describing the type of people that may not belong there? Because if we're looking, if I'm looking at my friends or people that I meet on the street or somewhere that you know that I'd know not to not to bring up the subject. Sure, I would say you know first and foremost, the person has to have some interest in what the real traditional martial arts is about. You know, I would expect that person would probably be reading things online and, and, you know, trying to understand what a traditional dojo is about, what the etiquette is about, how do you, you know, approach an instructor or a traditional instructor, you know, all of those type of things. I think they have to have a hunger for that type of atmosphere. If the person is not like that, if the person's like, you know, where can I go to learn how to kick ass or, you know, where can I go so I can fight in the UFC 
or, you know, those type of things, or maybe even just like, you know, I'm, I'm really super competitive and I just love to, you know, be a competitive grappler. I would say those are not the right people for the Kobukai Dojo. You know, we certainly do all of those things and have fun doing those things, but it's not even close to the main reason why we're all there. It's, it's really about pure self-defense, defending yourself against harm from other people. And, uh, that's a very serious atmosphere. So, you know, if the person is not like that, then they're probably not going to be a good fit. I would say if they're ego driven, I would say that that's probably not a good fit either. I would say somebody that wants to come in and prove they're the best in that environment is, is really not going to be a fit because that's not what we're about either. There, there is no the best in the dojo, right? You, you train hard, you progress through the ranks at whatever appropriate pace it is for you. Maybe you get your black belt at some point, but that doesn't mean that you're better than the new guy who walks in the door and wants to learn because it's, it's not a competition, right? It's, it's helping other people learn to defend themselves. So that would be, you know, something that I would be careful for somebody that's incredibly competitively focused. Another type of person that this may not be the right thing for would be if you're, you know, significantly out of shape. I would very much suggest that the first thing you'd want to do is try to get yourself in enough shape that class wouldn't be dangerous for you. Now, of course, we're going to help you get in shape, but I would have a hard time having somebody who really had no physical level of physical at all. Uh, having them come into class, they, it wouldn't be an enjoyable experience. I mean, I don't know if I call it enjoyable to start with, but you know, it's a very challenging environment, but at least you feel like you make little teeny tidbits of progress every class. And if you can't even do that, then I definitely suggest, you know, some kind of diet and fitness program for a while before you come and, and join a, um, you know, a Spartan atmosphere like that. So that might be another person that, they might be right for the dojo at some point, but maybe not in their current physical state. I think that's about all that I, I can think of. I mean, we, you know, the obvious ones are we're not going to train thugs. If somebody comes in and just tells me, you know, I really want to learn how to fight, then they're just in the wrong mindset. Those aren't the type of people that we want to have there. I feel like I'm kind of an anomaly, at least from the perspective of uh, heritage and, and culture that I was brought up in and where I originally came from. I originally came from India and, and grew up in the U.S., but uh, physical activities, physical fitness, sports, and I'm talking um, active sports, not not the spectator kind, are mm -hmm. significantly de-emphasized in, in culture, especially with uh, children growing up. And what is emphasized is obviously education and, and you know, getting a good job and, you know, working hard and religion and all those other other things which don't have a lot of room or appetite for physical fitness. So part of the reason we don't see a lot of people of Indian descent or Indians in general in martial arts. Is there any advice you can give for people with that kind of background? Well, first of all, um, I would say there isn't a culture on the planet that hasn't had some form or another of, of a warrior history. It doesn't really matter what state their culture is in right now. At, at one point, every culture on the planet has had a warrior class and a warrior history. India was a, a very big one. I mean, there, there, were, there were several warrior classes uh, in, in India, and there's actually several aboriginal um, martial arts 
you know, that are just common to India that are still practiced today. So I, I can see where if you're not exposed to those things, that you would really not realize that they were there. But I, I think, again, this kind of goes back to a, a, a little bit of research on the part of the person who's interested in, in joining, you know, a martial art like this. Uh, martial arts are, are sciences. They're, they're a study of how the body works and doesn't work and the use of weapons and personal safety and self-protection and protecting others and military arts. So, there's a study that goes along with this, and I, and I think anybody from any culture could look back into their history and understand, you know, that the warrior arts may have been uh, a part of their uh, culture. They just may not have been exposed to it, um, and that might be somewhat helpful. I would also say that because you're looking at a martial art does not mean that you have any interest in violence. It could be quite the opposite. I, I can tell you from myself, it is quite the opposite. I don't like conflict. And I don't like violence at all. And this is one of the vehicles that I use to help me deal with that and maintain a, a peaceful mind and a peaceful life because I get to eliminate the fear. So, you know, fear is what usually generates violence. And when you eliminate that because you have choices and you have techniques and you have knowledge, um, you, you can become a more peaceful person. I think people need to really understand the martial arts more and so that they can become interested in it. I'll also say I was brought up here in America. I joined the martial arts when I was 19 years old. And I had a lot of pushback from uh, members of my family that just did not understand it at all. So we have, uh, in general, you know, a, a Christian based culture. And, you know, some of my relatives thought that because we were bowing to a camisa, that that was some kind of religious thing. And, they didn't understand the difference between the word Budo and Buddha. So they thought that that was some kind of Buddhist thing that was going on. And there was just a, a lack of understanding, you know, like, why do you want to fight? And so, again, it doesn't really matter what culture you're from. If you don't know what you're talking about, if you haven't done research and you don't understand it, it's, it's going to seem like it might be counter to your, to your culture. But then when you dig into it a little bit, you, I think you find out it's, it can be compatible. So can you help us understand what opportunities to look for when we're recruiting? I think the be best thing you can do is is talk about how it makes you feel. When you're practicing your martial art, when you're practicing jiu-jitsu, how does it make you feel? You certainly can get into the history and the techniques and all that kind of stuff, but people don't make changes in their life often because of just facts. They, they make change because of emotion and for you know how it makes them feel. Appealing to that part of people's nature is probably the most important part of recruiting, I think. And it's individualized, right? If somebody is looking to maybe lose a little weight and get more in shape, maybe that's what's attractive to them. There might be somebody that have had uh, some violent encounters in their past and maybe, you know, they want that to never happen again and they want to have that knowledge. So maybe that's the way you approach it. You know, maybe uh, somebody just feels like, you know, there's something lacking. I wish I had something else in my life besides just going to work and coming home and going to work and coming home. And I don't really like to golf and I don't like the bowl and, you know, I'm too old to play football or, you know, whatever it might be, you know, what they need, they're lacking something. So can we talk about, you know, some of the things in jujitsu that are really positive, like your, your outlook on, on life and challenge and, Maybe it's even just a, a differentiator where, where you're saying, you know, 
hey, all all your friends now that you're well, make it up 35 years old, you know, they they go to work and they come home and they go out drinking with their buddies. But you know, I'm different than that. I I don't do that. I don't want that lifestyle. I want to, you know, I want to have a healthy lifestyle. I want to go and do this, you know, this ancient martial art and learn the language and and just it it makes me feel different. So appealing to how people feel about things is going to be a much more powerful recruiting tool than just, you know, here are the facts about jujitsu. I used to be a recruiter for a company I used to work for, and I used to go to colleges and recruit. And that part was really, really easy because (laughs) I essentially was there and there were maybe three or four of us and hundreds of candidates that would want to work at the company I worked for. And I was pretty much the the gatekeeper for letting them in the door. Okay. Why does recruiting for to bring people into the dojo seem a lot harder than that? I mean, it's somewhat easier to recruit people into something where they're going to get paid to be there. And, you know, going to a dojo is just the opposite of that, right? They're going to pay to be there and they're paying to basically, you know, work out really, really hard and get bumps and bruised and thrown around and choked out and and those type of things. So that's probably one of the first reasons. I think uh, the second reason, I would say, you know, there's a general uh, feeling about the martial arts, probably more than just in America, probably, probably worldwide, that it's something that kids do or it's a sport. Like those two things are pe- easy for people to understand. All right, kids go, it's an after-school program. You know, it makes my kids have more discipline so they pay more attention to their homework and they get better grades so they can go to a better college so they can have more debt so they can work for the rest of their life kind of mentality. Um, <laughs> which, you know, uh, and then sport. People get sport. I get it. There's a winner, there's a trophy, I'm the best. You know, if you told somebody I do a martial art you know, if you didn't even bother explaining the martial art, but told them there were worldwide competitions and you were working to be, you know, number one in your state so that you could go to the nationals and maybe sometime to the internationals, right? Complete understanding. They would get why you're doing it. But minus those two things, it's very hard for people to understand why you would do it. Like, so you're going to go do this thing for years. You're going to spend, you know, a ton of money over time. You might get a diploma. You might become a black belt in something. But I don't really, like, understand why you would dedicate years and years and years to this thing. It, you know, it's not going to make you any more money. It's not going to make you famous. Um, I, I just don't get it. So, you know, that that is a big – that's a big hurdle to get over. It's a, it's a really big hurdle. Um, and that's why maybe it's only right for a certain percentage of the population. Uh, so I think that is why it's hard to recruit. I've been doing this for over five years now, actually six years, I think. Wow. Time goes by quick. I pretty much exhausted my network of people that I know, friends. So where do I go and and others in, you know, in my position, where do we go from here if we want to continue to help to recruit? Well, when somebody spent that amount of time, I, I can totally understand. At the beginning, you know, you've got you tell all your friends about it, and some of them join, some of them don't. But then over time, it you really just can't keep going back to the same people. What I would say for somebody that's got five, six, seven years of experience, is it doesn't need to be something that you continually do. It it needs to be something that you do. That's just because it's a part of you, right? You have some business cards in your in your wallet. If it comes up in conversation. You know, you give somebody a card. They may not even be the one that's going to use it. They may give it to a friend who gives it to a friend kind of thing. Also, in your regular everyday life, your work life, your social life, whatever, I always stress that people 
regardless of the martial arts, bring value to this world by helping other people. And they can help other people in many ways. It doesn't just have to be like, you know, helping the poor or feeding the homeless kind of helping. It could be any kind of thing. It could be giving somebody uh, or mentoring somebody at work, giving somebody advice about, uh, you know, technology. I know you're into technology and stuff. It's about helping other people. And I think in that frame of mind where you're constantly looking for a way to maybe, you know, help somebody on a daily basis, the martial arts might be part of the answer on how to help somebody at some point. It, it may not, but it, but it may, right? You may, you may talk to somebody and it just could come out of nowhere. Somebody's having some trouble at work. They don't feel like they're, um, you know, they have enough self-confidence in, in what they do at work, even though they're educated. Uh, and then you're talking to them and, and then you realize it's not just work. There's maybe other things in their life that, really could use some, some, you know, in-depth look inside themselves and, and maybe they could use a little bit of challenge and adversity to help bring out the best in themselves. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, well, this is a vehicle now. Like, let me tell you about my experience. I, I think for somebody with it that long, that, that's more how their rec- that recruiting is, is going to happen. But again, you know, some of it is just basic old marketing too, right? You keep some business cards with you. You, you go to places that, uh, People might be interested in that type of thing, right? It could be something around the Japanese community or there could be something around, you know, personal safety or something for women's protection or, you know, whatever. You have to look for those opportunities if you're if you're looking at recruiting. How about when there's somebody that you know that that could be great for this, but then they start giving you excuses like, not having the time to do it. I remember one guy actually came into the dojo. He was at the the CrossFit where we train, um, where it used to be. And he came in, sat down, I talked to him, and he was so really interested, but just said they didn't have the time. Right. And I, I think that's true. There definitely isn't enough time to do all the stuff that we want to do, right? If, if he's got a family and he goes to work and he does CrossFit, and I'm not entirely sure how much more stuff you can fit into a day. But then it just it becomes priorities. You have to prioritize your life. I really think the reality of the human experience is no matter what it is, if you really want to do something, you'll do it. You'll end up doing it. And then if you don't do it, that thing that you were saying in your head about, I really wanted to do that, really, but you really didn't. Because if you really wanted to do something, you would do it. So it's the same with this. If you wanted to make time, if this was an important thing to you, if this was an experience you really wanted to have, if you wanted to make a commitment to this, you'd you'd literally make the time happen. So in his current state, with all of the choices that he's already made and the priorities he has, he absolutely may not have time. But that's, that's really not the question. The question is, so what are your priorities? Is this something that is more interesting to you than doing CrossFit, as an example, right? They, they, have, to, they have to make those choices. Uh, we can't make them for them. But I truly do believe that if, if somebody wants to do it, they'll find a way to do it. If somebody gives an excuse or reasoning that they'd rather go to the gym or, you know, they're working out at the gym, if you see people working out at the gym and probably could jump right in and, and maybe want more than what they're doing is are those good candidates or or if they give the excuse that the gym is sufficient then to just drop it well they they could be good candidates it would be tough to know right so you would either have to bring it up in conversation 
it could be something as simple as like, you know, is this all you do uh, like for your fitness? Cause you look like you're really fit. And is it just the gym or do you cross train and things like, do you run or do you swim or, you know, do you do the martial arts or do you do something like that? And, you know, they might say, Hey, I'm always looking for different ways to cross train. I mean, it makes me feel physically better. And, and that kind of stuff. And you just be like, oh, I, you know, I was just wondering because I do too. I mean, I do I do jujitsu, which I've been doing for five or six years. It's really awesome. And I also like going to the gym and and stuff like that and just kind of start up that conversation and, and see if there is uh, if there's any interest. But there, you know, there may not be. But you, you have to take that opportunity to have the conversation to find out if there's uh, any potential interest. You know, I can say when I was recruited, when I met my first uh, instructor, Shion Dan Eusti, I was working in a gym. So I was a, I was a weight training instructor and, you know, he came in and we were using, I'm not even sure if Nautilus machines are around anymore, but that's what we were using in the gym at that point. And we just got talking, you know, just a regular conversation between two people. And, you know, he said, what do you do? And I, he, he mentioned he was a teacher and I was like, oh, what do you teach? You know, I'm expecting him to say like high school English or whatever. And now he told me he does martial arts, blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah, if you're ever interested, you know, it was soft sale, right? If you're ever interested, um, here's my card. You know, um, our place is right up by the hospital there in Danbury. So feel free to stop by. And I, I wouldn't say I was interested at the moment, but I was interested in fitness, you know, just in general in fitness. So I didn't have any Google to go use at that time to do any research, so one afternoon, I don't know how long after that it was, might have been a week or two, um, I was just like, oh, you know what, I'm going to stop by and see what that looks like. And, you know, stopped in and, and it was interesting. So sometimes it's a soft sell just like that, but you have to take the opportunity to do it, right? You have to speak up. Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest parts is to is to actually speak up. I, I, I'm kicking myself for a couple of opportunities that I've seen over uh, the course of time when I've been training where... I thought people were actually talking about martial arts. I remember walking down the street in um, uh, the city where I work, and a couple of, I would say, maybe college-age kids were talking about YouTube videos where they went and they were actually practicing uh, on each other certain self-defense-type techniques, and I knew they were kind of doing it wrong from you know the year I was there, uh, <laughs> been doing it, and I still knew they were doing it wrong. And I'm like why didn't I just stop and talk to them and ask them like, Hey, you know, it's like, you're doing that wrong or just kind of just, just get into that conversation. Is that dangerous or is that a perfect opportunity? No, I think it's a perfect opportunity. You know, and when, when they're talking about that, you know, it's just how you approach it, right? They're talking about this stuff. They say on YouTube and you just be like, I'm totally into that stuff too. Do you guys like train anywhere? Or are you just training from these, these videos or do you have a teacher or what? And they might just be like, oh, no, you know, we just like to train together and stuff like that. And then you can just say, well, uh, you know, I, I actually belong to a school and it does stuff that's really, really similar to that. So, you know, if you guys ever feel like stopping by and giving it a try, you know, it'd be pretty cool. Here's a card. Come and watch a class, maybe even do a class for free. And, you know, at least we'd be doing the same stuff you're doing uh, there on YouTube with us, an instructor that you know, can make sure you learn like the real ways to do it. And they just might be like, nah, you know, I would just like mess around with my friends. And then you planted the seed and that's fine. And you walk away or, you know, maybe they show up. Who knows? We now kind of have a, a, a few female students, at least a couple, but typically we haven't seen a lot of female students training in the dojo 
you know, we do have a self-defense uh, class and a lot of uh, female students come to that. What else can we do to, uh, especially because I think this would be very helpful for, for women? That is really hard. I mean, that's something that I've struggled with over decades. It's not something that is just in the minds of women that they want to do it. There are some, and obviously there are more and more women getting into into the martial arts, um, and that's phenomenal. But I, I would say it's such a small percentage compared to guys. And I think just culturally as a human race, we've always associated combat with males. We're, we're still struggling with that in our current militaries about, you know, do we allow women to be in combat or not be in combat? And it's like, it's crazy that there's even, you know, any or excuse that we could say no, but we still do that. It's just so ingrained, you know, in our in our human experience that, you know, women are, are involved in combat that obviously that they're kind of brought up with that thinking too. And and so some small percentage of them will want to do that, uh, but others won't. So I'm just talking about the, the the people walking in the door, just, you know, just the interest level, I think is, is um, much, much lower. And then the ones that do walk through the door, there's more attrition there too, because especially in jujitsu, we're talking about a lot of close physical contact with males, um, which a lot of females may not be comfortable with. I mean, there's a lot of guys that aren't comfortable with it either when they first start, but you know, women in, in particular, just, uh, it's hard for them to imagine, like, I'm just going to be wrestling around on the ground with this guy. So I think in jujitsu, you know, in particular, they see that going on and they're like, yeah, I'm not sure that I want to do that. Or some of the women that really need to have it because they've had a, a you know, a negative experience. Maybe they've had an assault by a male in, in the past. That experience brings up some really bad memories and, and some anxiety and, and they may also not want to do that. I, I certainly have compassion and understand why, but I think it's too bad because, you know, Jiu-jitsu in particular, self-defense jiu-jitsu, was made for uh, a weaker person to be able to defend themselves against a stronger person. That's the prime candidate. If if you're a smaller guy or if you're a smaller woman, then it's the perfect martial art for you to to learn so that, you know, if some kind of encounter happens, you have a way, way better chance than you did before you had all this knowledge of of coming out the other side. And also it affects you positively in so many other ways. Um, I've seen female students that, you know, they come in, they start doing jujitsu and they move along the jujitsu path at the, you know, appropriate pace, but so many other things in their life change. Like suddenly the confidence um, that they, they can withstand, you know, physical adversity really changes them. You know, they start mountain climbing and skydiving and you know, scuba diving and doing CrossFit and like all these other things that they would never have considered because they just didn't think they had the, you know, the, the physical prowess or the ability to, you know, you know, withstand that physical adversity. And suddenly they realize they can, and it opens up all kinds of new doors for them. So, I mean, that's just such a positive thing. That's, that's really why I wish more, more women would do this. But again, um, we're going to deal with the cultural uh, barriers for, for a long time, I think. Well, Shehan, this was really, really helpful and definitely um, understand the the importance of recruiting and what we can do and not necessarily something that we have to do on a daily basis, but definitely look out for opportunities. Is there any other parting words that or advice you'd like to 
impart to us? Well, I'd like to talk about two things before we, you know, we uh, sign off here. You know, number one, y- you were recruited at one time. You weren't a jujitsu and now you are. So, you know, what was it about that experience that made you make the choice? Because you had work and you were involved in other things and you already did other martial arts. So you had to make priority decisions in your life and ch- and give up things and take on things like, so what was it that made you make that choice in that recruiting, I guess, effort? The person who recruited me, first of all, was you. (laughs) You know, I I was doing a different martial art. I was doing karate. I was doing it for many, many years on and off. And in fact, I was even training for my black belt at the time. And over the course of knowing you for, I would say, eight to nine months you know we talked so much about martial arts and and I started questioning things that I was learning and you had all the answers I'd like to say you you did have a lot of answers that made sense to me at least for me personally it takes me a long time to make a decision and people think I'm very indecisive for and I am and and, I go back and forth and I, I really really think about something until I make a decision either to buy something or, you know, especially to change my life and do something differently in, in my lifestyle, which this is uh, an example, great example of. But it took me over the course of that amount of time and, and constantly talking to you and asking you questions. And then finally, what really triggered it was really clinched it, I should say, is when you actually invited me to your to to the new dojo that you had opened and the first class I saw was a brown belt test. And here <laughs> I was <laughs> as a brown belt myself in a different martial art. And what those guys were doing just blew me away. It was Senpai Trey, Senpai Joel, and Senpai Oz, who are now black belts. And, right. and they were tr- getting a brown belt. And I remember what I had to do to get my brown belt. And it was nothing (laughs) like that. (laughs) And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's exactly what I've been looking for. Because I had been looking. And part of the reason I had all these questions for you over the course of time that I knew you, um, even prior to that, I was looking for things. I was watching. I was one of those kids on the street who was watching YouTube videos to figure out how to defend myself and what happens if uh, somebody points a gun at my head or or tries to uh, stick me up in a back alley with a knife or, right. or all that kind of stuff. And, and I was looking, I was looking online. Who knows? I might have even seen your website um, in my searches at the time and, and not really, because I didn't actually visit any of those schools. I, didn't, I never made that commitment to, or, or change something in my mind to do it. Yeah. But I guess over the course of time, actually knowing you changed it. And that, I guess, is the epiphany that I just had. <laughs> that's, <laughs> called, that's called Satori in, in Japanese. It's an enlightenment. But I think that's like your last three minutes of this interview is really the essence of the interview. And it didn't even come out of my mouth. And that is that recruit, recruiting isn't an instant gratification experience. If I had just met you and you said, I do martial arts, and I was like, here's my card, I do jujitsu, it's the best martial art in the world, you should come to the dojo, and that was it, you probably never would have come. A recruiting for something that's as serious as a real traditional martial art is about a relationship, right? It's months of just getting to know the person, and I wasn't trying to recruit you in any way, actually. I mean, it was just 
I liked talking with you about the martial arts and you were interested in things and we 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 talked about even your karate style and other karate styles much more than we talked about jiu-jitsu for a long time and history and we got to know each other and and I think that builds a trust that you know this person isn't going to like you know send me down some crazy path he's committed a huge amount of his life to doing this too there's got to be something to that you know maybe I should go and watch and and I think that's really what the recruiting experience is about. It's not something that's going to just take a day and be easy. So if anybody's interested in recruiting, if the instructors especially are interested in recruiting, realize it's not something that it's a, you know, a one-time flash in the pan. Like, I don't know, I talked to this guy, he didn't join, I don't understand why. It's about developing a relationship because you're about to have a relationship with this person anyways for multiple years if they join your dojo. So you need to establish it early on and find out is it even a good fit? Are, are, are you guys going to work well together? Do you enjoy your time together? You know, do you enjoy exchanging knowledge? If that becomes reality, then that person is going to join that dojo and the recruiting experience is going to be correct. So I really, really want to thank you for imparting how your recruiting experience was because I think that is the essence of how we bring new people uh, into jujitsu. I see the light. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Sri. It's always a pleasure.